You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln audio podcast. As always, if you would look into your worship guides and take out your teaching notes, and also if you would open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, hold your place, but we're going to come back to that passage really quickly. But also, we're going to look at another passage in Colossians chapter 2. So if you'd like, you can go ahead and mark your place there so you can flip over to it real quickly when we get there. Uh, Today's message is the final message in the Kingdom of God series. For the past 10 weeks, we've been learning about what it means to live as a citizen of the Kingdom of Heaven, and we've been learning about the values that we are to embrace as Kingdom citizens. Uh, We focused on uh, the value of complete dependence on the Holy Spirit. Uh, We focused on the value of stewardship. In other words, God has entrusted us with his resources and we are to steward those and we are to steward those well. And then last weekend, we focused on the, the kingdom value of justice. Justice lived out through the nature and the character of God. And today we'll focus on one last uh, kingdom value, that value being um, discipleship. I want to set up the message by uh, having us look at the passage that I ask you to turn to in Matthew chapter 4. So um, if you'll follow along as I read in Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to read beginning in verse 18. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Now, if you would, would you flip over just a few pages to Matthew chapter 9? I want to read one verse in chapter 9, and it's actually verse 9. So Matthew 9, 9. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told them. And Matthew got up and he followed him. These two passages take us back to the time when Jesus called uh, uh, five of his disciples, perhaps the first five. Uh, We know that four of them were first, but probably all five were the first disciples. One of the significant things about these two passages is that Jesus extends an invitation to these men. His invitation is, come and follow me. These men respond. They, they follow him. What's so incredible about this is in context of what we read here, it appears that they did so without asking any questions. They didn't say, how long will we be gone? Where are we going to go? How much will you pay me? None of those questions were asked. It just says they immediately left their nets. Matthew immediate left, immediately left the tax collector's booth and they followed him. So when four fishermen, Peter, James, Andrew, and John left their boats, and their nets. And when Matthew left the tax collector's booth, each of these men entered into an ongoing, life-changing process of spiritual transformation. Literally, from that day forward, as these men followed Jesus, their lives were continuously, let me say that again, their lives were continuously changing. Their spiritual roots 
began to grow. Um, they chose to follow Jesus and as a result, they became his disciples. And as his disciples, they lived in and they lived out the process of discipleship. Now, I have a few questions that I want to ask you. You don't necessarily have to answer these out loud. I think these are more contemplative questions. Um, you can think about them even beyond today. But first question. If you had lived during biblical times and you met this man, Jesus, would you have recognized him as, would you have believed him to be the Son of God? Again, think about it. If you lived then and you met this man, Jesus, and he said, hey, my name's Jesus and, and my father's God. I'm, I'm God's son. Would you have recognized him? Would you have believed, or would you have been skeptical? Would you have believed or would you have been skeptical? Now, I've thought, honestly, I've thought about this many, many, many times over the years. And I have to be honest and say that I probably would have been skeptical. I don't know if I would have been like the disciples. Now, uh, if you study, the disciples had been watching him at a distance. It, it wasn't their first encounter with him. But I don't know that I could have done. And I know the spiritual answer is to say, well, of course, it was Jesus, the Son of God. I would hope that as I watched him and as I saw him do the miracles and I began to just sense there's something different about him, I would have believed. But I don't know if I would have immediately recognized him or believed him as the Son of God. This is just the honest answer. And so, the same for you. Here's a second question. Would you have trusted him enough to turn your life completely over to him without question? Would you have trusted him enough to turn your life over to completely without question, like the disciples did? And the third question is this. Would you have been willing to give up your personal desires, your goals, and your ambitions so that his plans could be revealed. Here's what I'm really asking. Would you have been willing to become a disciple of Jesus? And if so, what would that have meant for you? In other words, what does it really mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What is this kingdom value of discipleship really all about? I'd like for you to watch with me a video that lasts about four minutes. I think it gives some insight into those last questions that I asked. means a disciple is a learner, a student. And uh, yes, Jesus did not just start a new thing when he called disciples. It was a very uh, rabbinic thing to do. 
fact, any rabbi worth his salt had disciples. Uh, so it, in that sense, the gospel is not like a brand new radical thing when, when Yeshua says, come and follow me. Uh, but of course, as always, I believe, Yeshua just gives a, a deeper meaning to that, a slightly different angle to that. Uh, so when he calls uh, some of his Talmudim, uh, plural Talmudim, uh, it's to come and learn, follow me. Uh, the English word disciple, of course, comes from discipline. So I think that's definitely part of it too. It's, it's, a, it's a discipline to follow this certain rabbi. And some may follow Rabbi Hillel, some may follow Rabbi uh, Shammai of the first century, but in that sense, it's Rabbi Yeshua saying, follow me, I have a certain path, a certain things, uh, a learning for you, and a discipline, a walk for you to follow. I think Yeshua has always called his people to this Jewish idea of discipleship, which is to be a learner, to uh, follow the model of your rabbi, and to be a disciplined one in walking with your rabbi. So um, uh, to leave for three years, three and a half years, and live with their rabbi, Yeshua, what an incredible learning experience that was. But again, I think we, we've inherited more the Western kind of Greek approach to learning. And often we've applied that to Yeshua and, and the Bible. And so when we use the term discipleship, it's kind of like we lock into that, I find, that teaching mode and just say, well, here's come to our discipleship class, here's 10 lessons, learn these verses, now you're a disciple. Uh, whereas uh, Yeshua clearly calls us to uh, a lifestyle and uh, a lifestyle of making him Lord. So it's not just a body of knowledge that we've mastered, but it's really a, a submission uh, of our will to, to him as Lord. For me, there were some great takeaways from that, that short teaching. And one is... Um, we cannot reduce discipleship down to simply a class. And so often in our Western world, in the, in, in the church at large, we've done that. We, we've, we've, we've made it about knowledge. Let me pass this knowledge on to you. Um, come to my three-week, four-week, ten-week class, and uh, you're, you're a disciple. Well, we become a disciple as soon as we enter into relationship with Jesus Christ. And I believe that going to a class and receiving knowledge can have great application in our discipleship. There are things we have to learn. But maybe three of the greatest takeaways from this was that discipleship is the process of learning from Jesus. So there is a learning aspect. But we're learning from Jesus uh, uh, it, it, it's the, the process of modeling our life after the life of Jesus. And it's about being disciplined in our walk with Jesus. So in the same way that the very first disciples entered into a life-changing process of spiritual formation, we as citizens of the kingdom of heaven should be in an ongoing, we need to be engaged in an ongoing process of spiritual growth and development. And it's in that process of spiritual growth and development that we learn what our true identity is. We learn 
that our identity is in Christ. But discipleship takes us even further. It teaches us what does that actually mean? So often we say we're in Christ. We're in Christ. That's good. But what does it mean? And in discipleship, we actually learn what does it mean to have our identity in Christ? And in discipleship, we learn that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but we take it deeper. In discipleship, we learn what it actually means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and what the values of kingdom citizens really are. Uh, so this happens as we allow ourselves to be firmly established in the truth of God's word. So discipleship can't happen apart from the word of God. So if I put my Bible here and close it up and I'm over here, guess what? It's not going to just jump over on me. It's not going to get all over me. It's about this. It's about me being here, reading, studying, learning about Jesus, listening to his voice, so that that's how discipleship happens. Discipleship is the process of making Jesus Christ Lord. It's the uh, kingdom value, the kingdom process of uh, bringing every aspect of our lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The goal of discipleship is actually about conformity to Jesus. And you can see it's an ongoing process. Um, 2 Corinthians 3.18 affirms this. Listen. And we all who with unveiled faces. So it talks about unveiled faces. We've entered into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And the mystery is gone. And so now we understand the gospel. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Listen, are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. Which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I want to read that in another translation, the New Living Translation. It says, So all of us who have had uh, the, that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, listen to this, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. So there's a work of the Holy Spirit that's always going on, causing us to become more and more like Jesus. To live out this kingdom value of discipleship is to commit our lives to Jesus and to acknowledge and submit to Him as our model, our supreme authority, and our guide. This is what lordship is all about. Discipleship is really about uh, learning what it means to make Jesus Christ Lord. It's to, and, and to live out, to live in this, this value is uh, when we allow ourselves to become more like Jesus through an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in us. Uh, the kingdom value of discipleship uh, involves a continual process and a desire, a willingness for positive spiritual change. It involves uh, a willingness to acknowledge, listen to this, it involves a willingness to acknowledge that there are parts of us that are not like Jesus. Is anybody in the room, would you say, there are parts of me that are not like Jesus? Yeah. You raise your hand. Let's make everybody feel good in the room, okay? There are parts of me, ask my wife, that are not like Jesus. 
And we have to be willing to acknowledge that because if we acknowledge it, then we can move on in the process. It involves a willingness to die to our self-centeredness. It involves a willingness to choose humility over pride. And listen to this. It involves a willingness to go through, to experience the pain that is most often a part of spiritual transformation. No one said that transformation is easy. Do you typically find change as easy? Most times, no. Sometimes, yeah, but not most times. Well, there's a pain that's associated with, with uh, spiritual growth. Spiritual. Listen, uh, we commit our lives to Jesus so we know that salvation is the entry point into God's kingdom. And his kingdom uh, citizens following Jesus opens up the way for this ongoing process in a, the change. It, it's what, how it occurs. Um, I want us to look at that passage that I uh, uh, told you about, Colossians chapter 2. So I want you to follow along as I read Colossians chapter 2. And after that, I'm going to actually read it in two other versions. But in Colossians chapter 2, I want to read beginning in verse 6. It says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, uh, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to listen as I read this in um, first the New Living Translation. It says, and now... Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Now, I'm going to read it to you from the New King James Version. It says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So three translations, they all have the same meaning. They just worded a little different. But there's one phrase that's worded just a bit differently in each of those translations. And there's one particular that I, that I really like. In, in the NIV, it says, continue to live your lives in him. And in the New Living Translation, it says, continue to follow him. But in the New King James, it says, so walk in him. All three of those phrases have the same meaning. But I love the New King James. It says, so walk in him. Because it, it tells me that there is an action that is involved in discipleship. Think about it. When you walk, what do you have to do? You have to put one foot in front of the other. That's the action. And as you put one foot in front of the other consistently, it shows progress and you get from one point to another. 
Well, that same principle, all of those principles can be applied to our spiritual growth, our spiritual formation. It takes action. Well, so walk in him. And so we are to be disciplined in, 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 our, in our walk with Jesus. And so the discipline requires an action that we would walk. And as we walk, this spiritual walk, uh, there's, there's forward movement, there's progress, and there's consistency because you have to put one foot in front of the other when you walk. And in our spiritual growth and formation, we have to put our spiritual feet, we have to keep them moving in order to grow. So there's this action, it's, it's consistent, it's ongoing, it, it, it never stops. And so that's how we have to look at our, at our walk with Jesus. Uh, this whole passage in Colossians chapter 2, really, what it implies is intentionality. It, it, it's, it's screaming out intentionality. And intentionality is the necessity of any kind of growth. It's not even limited to just spiritual growth. Let me give you an example. Uh, last weekend, Z Simone Biles uh, won her seventh U.S. title. She was competing in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Um, she has dominated the gymnastic world for the past eight years. And in those eight years, she's accumulated um, 30 Olympic and uh, collectively 30 Olympic and U.S. title medals. Um, she has been, uh, she stands as the most decorated American gymnast of all times, and she's uh, been applauded as the greatest gymnast in the world. Now, how do you think she got there? Do you think that she just says, I'm just going to go out and get on that little beam and hop around, and it's just going to happen, and they're going to give me a medal? No. The first time she got on that beam, guess what? I'm sure she fell. It was strange. It, she didn't know what she was doing. But through an, an intentional investment in herself and in her sport, she began to grow. She was walking forward in her ability. She was making progress. And it shows by the success that she's achieved. Uh, her success is attributed to that fact that she is intentional in that she spends no less than 32 hours in the gym every week. 32 hours. That's intentional. You think that's why she's successful? Yeah. That's why she's successful. In the same way, an athlete like Simone Biles would make an, a personal, intentional investment in their sport. The kingdom value of discipleship involves an ongoing intentional investment in our process of spiritual growth. Spiritual growth and understanding spiritual truth never just happen. It requires intentional action as we pursue Christ and we pursue truth. What are we intentional in? We're intentional in learning from Jesus and modeling the life of Jesus and being disciplined in our walk with Jesus. We, just have, we're, we do those things over and over and over. In verse 8 of Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul offers a very serious warning. And this is kind of my paraphrase of, of what he's saying. He's, uh, his warning is that we have to be consistent in our intentional investment in the spiritual process of learning from Jesus, modeling our life after Jesus, and being disciplined in our walk with Jesus. Because if we don't, we can be easily deceived. 
If we don't, we can be easily deceived. I love how this verse is stated in in, uh, one of my favorite translations, the Phillips translation. It says this, be careful that nobody spoils your faith through intellectualism or high-sounding nonsense. Such stuff as at best founded on men's ideas of the nature of the world and disregards Christ. Here's my interpretation. Paul's saying, there's a lot of stuff going on out there. A lot of beliefs, a lot of ideas, a lot of philosophies, and they, uh, they, a lot of intellectual arguments. And they might all sound good. They might all sound logical. But be careful. They're deceptive because they're not rooted in Jesus Christ. Here's the kingdom value that he's pressing in on. Discipleship requires allegiance to God's kingdom over the principles of the world. Um, The audience has changed. Paul wrote to an audience long ago, but the world has not changed. Today, we're surrounded by ideas and philosophies and beliefs that can sound good and they can sound very logical. The confusion comes, the deceptiveness is oftentimes they're laced with little bits of truth. And so you hear me say, well, it sounds like that's what the Bible says, I think. If you're not rooted and grounded in the word, then you can't know for sure. You, you have, the real test must always be, are these ideas, these philosophies, these arguments, are they rooted in Christ? Or do they conflict with the truths found in Scripture? The philosophies and systems of the world that leave God out are not where our allegiance and our loyalties are to lie. Our first obligation, our first allegiance must always be to the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because that's where, that's where our citizenship is. That's where our true citizenship is. Um, discipleship will anchor us to God's truth. And when we're anchored to God's truth, we're not distracted by the philosophies of the world system. A true kingdom agenda is founded in, it's based on, the truth of God's word. And when we choose to align ourselves with uh, this word-driven kingdom agenda, uh, rather than an agenda that's based on ideas and philosophies of human origin, when we, when we align ourselves with a, with a, uh, a word-driven agenda, kingdom agenda, we find that life's working the way God intended for it to work. Um, I want to talk just a minute uh, about let me ask you, what are some of the current philosophies that we deal with in our world today? Just quickly, any, what comes to mind? Socialism, Socialism what else? Essentialism. Essentialism. Evolutionism. Evolutionism. Yeah, in other words, there's a, there's a, lot, of, a lot of ideas. I want to I talk about two real quickly. One of the prevalent philosophies, it's been around for centuries, is secular humanism. Secular humanism, while Christianity places God at the center of all things, secular humanism places man at the center of all things. In secular humanism, it's man's world, man's in control. In Christianity, whose world is it? It's God's world. And Christianity puts its faith in God's creative ability and God's purpose. So when we think about secular humanism, we can say it's not rooted in Christ. So, so it's, it's a deceptive it's a deceptive philosophy. The second one I want to talk about, and I, I do this with not apology, 
but with caution, because I realize that it can be a hot topic in our world today. And so I want you to hear everything I have to say. I'm not going to say much, um, but hear what I have to say so that you don't misunderstand. So uh, another prevalent philosophy that's in our world today is Christian nationalism. You say, well, what is that? Well, nationalism uh, elevates allegiance to a nation above God. Um, let me say quickly, because I guess it can be a hot topic, that nationalism in itself is not bad. We should all have a great sense of loyalty to and for our country, our nation, right? I mean, that, that's, that's a given. And, and the Bible actually teaches nationalism in that it says that we are to uh, obey the laws, governing laws of our land, that we are submit to submit to those who are in authority because actually God has established them. And um, we should defend our freedom and we should defend the innocent and we should defend our homes from foreign threats. That's all good, that's all good and right. The problem occurs is when we allow nationalism to displace our first loyalty as kingdom citizens we, it, nationalism to the, the allegiance to the nation rises up above Christ and his kingdom. So listen, there are so many philosophies. What we have to remember is that as we live here now, this is temporary. This is a, this is a temporary kingdom. But we're, we're citizens of, a, of a, an eternal kingdom. And we always have to keep that in mind. So regardless of the philosophy, we have to make sure that our first allegiance and our loyalty is to God and to his kingdom and that that loyalty is never displaced by anything. Not, not anything. So I'm going to land the plane. If discipleship is a kingdom value to be embraced, then how do we do this as kingdom citizens? I'm going to give you four things real quick. First and foremost... We have to passionately pursue Jesus. We have to go after him wholeheartedly. Uh, we have to intentionally engage in spiritual disciplines. Those, some of those would be prayer. Um, we need to be reading the word, studying the word, practicing the word. It's in those, it's in those disciplines that we learn from Jesus, that we model the life of Jesus, and we find the discipline in our walk with Jesus. Um, we have to maintain a spirit of humility and be a lifelong uh, learner. In other words, we have to realize there's always more to learn. Don't let spiritual pride seep in. Have you ever met somebody who just thought spiritually they knew it all? Yeah, they're hard to be around, to be really honest. There's always more to learn. We never arrive. Um, and then finally, um, engage in healthy community. Discipleship happens best in a group of people. Listen, this is why we talk so much and we encourage so much. Be a part of a small group Bible study. We're not inviting you to a social club. We hope that you would have fun in a small group study. But it's a place where discipleship happens. We've made sure that that's part of our group life. That there's, there's spiritual formation that's happening in there. But it happens as people come together and help each other learn and grow. So my, my challenge, my, my, my encouragement is, can we take discipleship more seriously than we've ever taken it before? To realize it's not a class and it's not about knowledge, but it is about learning from Jesus 
and learning how to model the life of Jesus and learning how to be disciplined in our walk with Jesus and being willing to go through the pain that comes through the transformation because there's pain involved. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Father, we just want to begin by saying thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for saving us by giving your son Jesus. Thank you for calling us into your kingdom. And we would even confess, though, today that we don't always get that right. And so we, we ask that you would cause us to have greater desire than ever before by a work of your Holy Spirit in us to, to desire following you as disciples in a greater way than ever. Stir up the desire in us to learn from Jesus. Stir up the desire in us to model our lives after Jesus and empower us in that discipline to walk out that faith walk with Jesus. I, pr- I just pray that we would be different even today because we've heard something in a new and different way. Uh, the Spirit speaking it to us in a different way. So I pray that for all of us in this room, Father God. And um, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just a question. I ask it every week. I'm going to continue to ask it every week and never make an assumption. Is there anybody here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior? You've never really said yes to Jesus. You've never said, I recognize that there's a sin problem that separated me from God. And I um, have been without God in my life because of it. And I believe Jesus died in my place. He paid the price for my sin. And I want to become his disciple. Is there anybody here today and you say, that's what I want. For the first time, I want to say yes to Jesus. Just lift up your hand if that's the case. Would everybody stand? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to be disciples. Thank you for calling us. And I pray that as we go today as disciples, that there would be something about our life as we live out our walk with you, that people are attracted to us and they ask what's different and we can tell them your story and see them come into relationship with you, become kingdom citizens. And I pray a blessing over everyone in this room. I pray that you bless them in every possible way in this coming week. And I pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.